Amen. Good morning, guys. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here at Stonehouse Church. Uh, welcome to the PAL. If you've never been here before, welcome back to the PAL. If you have been here before, uh, at a membership meeting in the near future, we'll get into some more details about why we're here. Um, but the quick summary is some things changed over there, and they changed rather quickly. And so we had to come here. Uh, we are continuing a search for a spot. We've been doing that for a while, um, a spot that would be uh, sufficient to our needs, a little bit more um, permanent even. Uh, so continue to pray about that, that the Lord would lead us to exactly where he wants us to be. But suffice it to, suffice it to say that today he wants us to be here. I don't know why, but God is good, so... He gets to decide that. Um, we are, if you haven't been with us recently, we've been in a series called A People Planted where we're really just taking a look at what it means to be a church in the midst of, um, in the, midst of the world. Uh, what does it mean to, to follow Jesus, to uh, seek to be faithful to God uh, amongst a planet, amongst a, a place, amongst the people who uh, really don't want to follow God and don't want to be faithful to God? And how do we find our way in the midst of that complicated reality um, we've talked a lot about Daniel in, um, in the uh, Old Testament prophet book of Daniel, uh, bears his own name, and, and the situation that Daniel and his friends found themselves in is very similar to the situation that we find ourselves in. Not that we're captives in this place, but that we are in a, in a land that is foreign uh, to a lot of the things that we hold dear, to a lot of the things that we believe, uh, to a lot of the ways that we live. Uh, we find ourselves living amongst the people that don't believe like us and that don't seek to live uh, like the scriptures would lead us to seek to live. Um, and so we've kind of talked through figuring out uh, our, our identity in this place and how do we engage with the world, really looking at this this reality that Daniel and his friends uh, did not seek to kind of uh, just isolate themselves when they were in Babylon, but rather they integrated themselves in the ways that were acceptable to the Lord. Uh, they integrated themselves into the culture of Babylon um, and actually bore witness to the God of Israel through that situation. And we saw a couple weeks ago that the, the evil megalomania king of Babylon, uh, he eventually confessed that the God of Israel was true God um, because of what God had done through Daniel uh, and also through his friends. So we saw the influence of, of Daniel and his friends in Babylon as we've walked through this series. And then the last couple of weeks, we really just kind of turned the page and tried to look at the New Testament church uh, and some of the markers of the New Testament church. What are some things that will mark the church uh, in a godless age? Uh, because basically every church and every uh, culture and every society has been in the midst of a godless age. That's just the reality of all of human history. Uh, and so we can look back at the New Testament church and take some indicators from them, uh, some things that mark them as a church uh, and, and seek to be marked by those same things. And so we talked about two weeks ago being a place of healing where those who've been broken and devastated by sin and its effects in the world, where they can come and they can find restoration in the midst of Christ's arms as he extends himself through the body, through the church. Uh, we believe that God will and is doing that uh, right here in our midst and that he can continue to do that as we uh, seek his help in that. Uh, last week, we talked about um, about justice. We talked about the poor. We talked about the existence of, of injustice in this world and how is it that we look at that through the lenses of the gospel. Uh, and we concluded with this. We concluded that we are poor, uh, that though we often settle into this set, this mindset that we are fine 
and we've got what we need. Uh, the scriptures actually speak to us in the condition of our spirits and calls us poor. Uh, and that if we are not clothed with the clothing that God provides, if we are not given the grace that God gives, uh, then we will be left in our utter, utter poverty. Uh, but because of Jesus and the fact that he laid down his riches to give us his riches and he took on our poverty um, so that we might be rich in grace, uh, that transforms everything, not just about the way that we see ourselves, but the way that we see the world and the way that we engage with the poor. Um, and this week, we're really going to kind of uh, continue that conversation a little bit, but extend it more than just to the rich and the poor, uh, but extend it to uh, a wider aspect of diversity. Uh, we want to look at the reality of what it looks like to, to be a people that embraces all people, uh, to be a people like Jesus that is... Um, uh, is extending grace towards rich and poor, towards men and women, towards children, towards uh, all socioeconomic standings, towards all colors, all tribes, all tongues, uh, and all races. Uh, because we see that the gospel is uh, a powerful um, wall-tearing-down um, gift that's been given to the church, and we want to see God tear down walls between us and any peoples uh, that we might seek diversity as God would give it amongst all these different um, avenues. And so to do this, we're looking at Acts 16, and it's a, it's a unique passage to kind of do this because it's, it's a narrative passage, um, but in Acts 16, what we're actually um, seeing is uh, basically the beginning of the church at Philippi. And so if you're familiar with the New Testament, there's four letters uh, written to some churches, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Uh, we're going to be going through one of those pretty soon. We're going to go through Ephesians. Um, just after Easter, we're going to begin that journey. So that's going to be a really good time. Uh, but one of those books is a letter to the church at Philippi. It's called Philippians. That's the name of the letter. Uh, and in Acts 16, this is really cool how the New Testament comes together for us in so many ways. In Acts 16, we see the beginning of that church. We see how that church had its start. Uh, and so the passage or the verses that, that uh, Nathan just read uh, kind of describe how Paul arrived um, in this area. And then uh, not just the verses that Nathan read, but some of the following verses as well. We're going to read uh, almost half of the chapter here today by the, before we're done. Uh, unfold a couple of the um, encounters that Paul and his missionary friends have in Philippi. Uh, and what I love about this chapter is that it shows us the power of the gospel to bridge all gaps between peoples. Um, one of the most potent realities of the gospel is that it is good news for all people. Um, and when the New Testament says all people, uh, the New Testament is saying all people, but it's also often saying all of the kinds of the people. <laughs> That's what it's often meaning when it says all peoples. Um, so the good news or the gospel is good news for all of the kinds of the people in the world. You might have sung this song back in Sunday school, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in the sight. Jesus loves the children of the world, right? Uh, and so this is a truth that is permeating all of Scripture. And the beauty of the New Testament church is that it focused often on the breaking of dividing walls um, because the gospel was such revolutionary news when it came to religion. Uh, they focused often on the ability of the gospel to break the separation uh, 
uh, that existed between peoples or to break that wall of separation uh, that existed between peoples. And so we're going to look at that a little bit in Acts 16 uh, and also in uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians as well. Before we do that, let's pray. We're desperate for God and we need him this morning to move and to open our hearts. So let's ask him to do that this morning. God, thank you. Um, Thank you. (laughs) You are uh, all-knowing and (sighs) all-powerful. All over Scripture, including Psalm 139, we see that every day of our lives was written for us before a single one of them came to pass. God, you have known this day for a long time. And um, God, for us, there's a tremendous amount of help and comfort that comes from that truth because we, we wind our way around various paths in this life. We come upon circumstances and situations and often we feel like things are either out of control or they aren't going right or at the very least they're not going the way we want them to go. And yet we are assured by your word that they are going the way that you want them to go. Uh, We even looked at Daniel and his captivity in Babylon and his friends being taken away from their homes and being thrust into an evil empire. And right in the midst of that story, we read the words that it was your will to do that, that it was your hand that did that. And so, God, we trust that. Uh, even though our eyes can't always see and in our, our minds we can't always rationalize everything, we, 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 we long to be people who trust that you know everything and that you are alive and good and powerful, that you are for us, but even more so you are for your, your glory and your name being known amongst all peoples. And so, God, that's what we want to know about today. We want to see like Jesus saw when he walked this earth, he didn't see color. He didn't see pocketbooks. He didn't see rich, poor, black, white, man, woman, child. He saw lost and needy people who needed grace, who needed mercy, who needed the truth of God given to them in a way that would transform their hearts. And so, God, I pray that you would give us eyes like that to see the world, to look at it as Jesus looks at it. Lord, we need you. I need you. Uh, Help us to hear today your words. Help me to speak today your words. Uh, Continue to draw us together to be the family, the people, the church that you've called us to be in this city. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to look at three things essentially today, and that's about it. Uh, Salvation for all and the sin of prejudice and then the truth of the gospel bringing us into oneness in Christ. And so as we look at Acts 16, there's three stories that we're going to look at. The first is the one that we already read, which is the conversion of Lydia. And then we'll look at a little bit of the story of an unnamed girl who was um, basically a slave. We'll look at her story. And then finally, we will look at the story of the Philippian jailer and his conversion. And so to begin with, Lydia, the words that Um, were read earlier, we see that Paul uh, and his companions, uh, which included Luke, who's writing this account in the book of Acts, uh, that they sail on to Philippi. And when they came there, um, Paul's custom when he started to share the gospel in cities is he would usually go to a synagogue 
where all the Jewish people would be gathering. Uh, and he would reason with the synagogue from the Old Testament scriptures for the need of Jesus and point to the coming of Jesus as Messiah and how he filled all of Old Testament scripture and that how we as sinners need Christ's death and resurrection in order to be made right with God. So, so Paul would enter into synagogues and reason with them from the Old Testament scriptures and teach them the gospel. We see this kind of his habit again and again and again. And this was one of the first uh, ventures of Paul into what was called Macedonia or a, a section of Asia. And so he goes to Philippi and there's no synagogue there. So it's one of the first engagements Paul has with like a, a, an utterly Gentile city. There are no Jews there, at least not enough to have a synagogue in that place. So Paul looks for what is called a place of prayer. Now, I, I don't know a whole lot about what that means other than just some people would get together and pray. And often who knows what they would pray to. Uh, they more than likely were praying to Greek gods or unknown gods or Roman deities, or maybe they had heard of the God of Israel and were praying to that God. But we don't know. We just know that they'd get together and they'd pray. Uh, and so Paul sought out one of those places, and he falls upon this encounter with Lydia. And what we find out from this passage is that um, Lydia is a seller of purple goods. It says that in verse 14. Now, it doesn't seem like much, but in the ancient culture, uh, dyed fabrics were a rarity. Uh, so this woman was uh, a stylist, a uh, into fashion, and she was selling rare goods. She was selling purple dyed goods. Um, most theologians agree that this means the woman probably was wealthy because the stuff that she sold was rare, and so therefore it was expensive, and so therefore she had some means. We also know at the end of the chapter that she has her own house, um, a place with a, a family and possibly even servants living in it. And so the, the, the beauty of this whole story is that we see Paul having a conversation, number one, with a woman, number two, with a woman that has means, and then number three, that in the midst of this conversation, while he shares the gospel, uh, that God opens Lydia's heart to hear what Paul is sharing so that her heart is transformed and she comes to see Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And so the beauty of this whole story is just kind of the diversity of what's going on here. A lot of the New Testament church was uh, exploding amongst people who um, oftentimes were kind of not included in some of the different uh, religious situations around that time. And oftentimes in that era, uh, women were excluded from a lot of religion. Uh, they were excluded from religious service. They were excluded often from being included in certain meetings, or maybe they were just kind of set off to the side. And we see instantly with the story that Paul doesn't do any of that, that with the gospel, immediately he's liberated to engage with Lydia, to speak to her the truth of the gospel, and that God makes no uh, measure of who she is other than she is in need of being transformed uh, and knows or and knowing the truth of God. And the beauty as Paul continues to engage in this city is that he doesn't stop there, but he continues to have uh, conversations and interactions with more and more people. The next one is in verse 16, and I'll actually read a couple of these verses since we haven't read them yet. Uh, read 16 through 19 here in Acts 
chapter 16. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who, pro- who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. So this little girl is basically demon-possessed. And in her demon possession, in the the spirit of divination, uh, she's proclaiming something that's true about Paul and his companions And she continues to do that again and again. And, you know, Paul gets annoyed. And that's a tough little thing to interpret. Is Paul just a jerk? Does he just like, you know, is he really getting angry at this girl? And um, I think largely the the problem with this whole situation is her associations. Um, That to this point, she's been associated with demon possession, divination. Uh, She's been associated with other gods and even a, a slave to these men who are making money off of her. So they're profiting off of this little girl who's got this spirit of uh, of uh, fortune telling uh, and Paul needs to separate that whole situation from the gospel because he is not a part of spirit divination and slavery and all those types of things he needs to distance himself from that reality uh, and so he casts the demon out of the girl um, but what's also beautiful about this truth is that this girl is poor she's a slave she's being taken advantage of and now suddenly all of the things that are being done to her because of her condition because of this demon possession it's gone she's basically liberated by what paul does here in this situation now she we don't have here recorded that she confesses jesus as savior we don't we don't know that um i i wonder what does happen does she leave these slave guys uh these slave traders and and come and hang out with paul and his companions do they encourage her to connect with lydia maybe so that lydia can help take care of the girl we don't get any of that story but what we do get is that the gospel brings liberation to this little girl and that again paul um the power of the gospel doesn't make any any distinctions between who she is She's oppressed, she's poor, and she's young, and still the power of the gospel delivers her from the bad situation that she's in. And Paul continues to show as he engages in the city of Philippi that the gospel's for everybody, that the freedom that it brings can be brought into all sorts of scenarios and situations, and that the power of God can save from anything and everything. And what happens with this whole situation is that Paul makes basically a big mess for himself. In verse 23, we find out what happens to Paul after this girl is delivered from the spirit that she has and from the slavery of these men or of these people. It says, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So Paul and his companions get beat and thrown into jail. Why? Because the deliverance of this girl from the spirit results in these people losing the money. And they're infuriated. And so they say, these guys are ruining everything, throw them in the jail. Right? Let's continue reading in verse 25. 
and following. It says this, about midnight, so they're in jail. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all of the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we, we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that they had believed in God. And so this jailer now encounters the power of the gospel as Paul and Silas are singing in prison, which is definitely the first thing you and I would do after being beaten and thrown in prison. <laughs> I don't know. I doubt I'd be singing, right? Um, who knows, maybe. But as they're singing, the foundations of this prison shake with an earthquake, and Paul and Silas are basically set free. And this poor jailer, right? Like, talk about taking your job seriously. This guy is so scared that he's done his job poorly that he's ready to kill himself. That's, I mean, that's the risk of the, the task that he has to do day in and day out, that if it doesn't go well, if he doesn't execute his job, then he's, good, he's as good as dead. So he's ready to kill himself when Paul brings him good news. And of course, the man begs to hear what he must do to be saved. He's obviously heard some of the message of what Paul and Silas believe through their singing, right? They've sung a hymn. They've sung, sung some kind of songs that speak of God's deliverance, that the great salvation that God had brought through Jesus Christ or whatever they sang. And this man says, what must I do to be saved? And so here we have just a working dude with a family, right? A guy working a regular job, one that's pretty serious. Apparently, he would die if he didn't do it well. Um, but he, he's just a guy working in the prison day in and day out. He has a family, as we find out at the end of the story, and the gospel engages this man as well. The good news of the gospel comes to Philippi, and it is good news for Lydia, the rich trader of purple goods and it is liberating in its power for the young slave girl and it creates a stir in the city such that these men are thrown in jail and then through that situation what happens a jailer meets jesus too the power of the gospel invading the city of philippi exemplifies for us how the gospel is good news for all of the kinds of the people rich and poor average girl man, woman, who knows what tribes and languages these people are from, but the good news of the gospel is there for all of them. We see that there is no distinction made as Paul and Silas carry out their mission here in Philippi. They don't reserve the message of the gospel for any kind of person, any type of person, but they tell it to all. They, they allow its power to be on display 
for all. And one of the distinguishing marks of the early church and its spread as it went from Judea to Samaria, out to Asia, and all the Roman uh, provinces is that the power of the gospel was displayed among all different kinds of people. And that more and more as the news was spread, transformation came to different communities because the power of the gospel makes no distinction between kinds of people. And one of the major concerns and divisions in the New Testament church was the division between Jew and Gentile. And it's what brings Paul to write some of the most potent words about division in Ephesians 2. So if you want to turn with me to Ephesians 2, we want to look at that as we continue to dig into this reality of the gospel being good news for all of the kinds of the people. If you are in Acts, Ephesians is to the right a few books. So there was this, this divide between Jew and Gentile in that era. Um, obviously, Jesus had come to Israel. He had proclaimed the gospel in Galilee. Uh, he had spoken in synagogues. He was spreading the good news amongst mostly the children of Israel. Uh, he goes to Jerusalem uh, to, to engage and even combat the, the, the religion of Israel. It ends up costing him his life. He's, he's turned over by the Jews to the Romans to be executed. And so we see so much of the beginning of Jesus' ministry and the beginning of the church takes place in kind of Jewish settings and Jewish contexts. But from that point, it spreads to the entire world. And Jesus shows up in a couple of places by giving dreams, uh, by visiting some of the apostles after his resurrection to make sure they understand that the gospel needs to spread to everyone. That they need to not just reserve it for Jews, but to, to go tell it to the Gentiles. And, and, and Peter, we see, gets visited with a vision so that he understands that there is no uncleanliness in anyone, but that the gospel is good news for all of the kinds of the people. And so Paul goes on these missionary journeys to spread the gospel throughout um, Asia, uh, like we just read in Philippi and other places in Macedonia. And, and the gospel continues to spread all over the Roman world, but there was still in some people's minds this divide between Jew and Gentile, especially amongst the Jews. And we see a situation in Acts where, uh, where Peter is, 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 is kind of crazy. He's like sitting down and, and having a hot dog with some Gentile people. And then he hears that some of the Jewish people from Jerusalem are, are going to show up at the party. And he gets up from the table and he, and he, and he leaves the presence of the Gentiles and he leaves his pork behind, and, and, and he separates himself so that he can kind of fall back under some of the Jewish laws and customs. And Paul comes up to Peter, talk about a bold move, and he says, this is not the gospel. What you're doing is making a distinction that Jesus is calling us to eradicate. Why could you pretend and act and be amongst the Gentiles while we weren't here, while the Jews weren't here? But as soon as the Jews show up, you step back and you move away. And so often there were confrontations in the early church that had to do with this separation between Jew and Gentile. And so Paul addresses this divide in several places, but he expounds on, on uh, that which empowers uh, or enables the division to be broken. And he does that in Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11. So I want to read from 11 to 22. It says this, 
Therefore, remember that, one, that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called, quote, the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He's basically saying, hey, you guys weren't Jews. And so to the Jews, you were a different separated people. You were looked at as though you weren't as privileged and weren't as favored and weren't as good. There's this division that has existed. But, verse 13, this is a good but. Now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he, Jesus, he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Paul addresses this divide between Jew and Gentile. He talks about how at one point we're basically looking at one another as strangers and aliens, not sharing in communion and in, in fellowship and in life. And he says that those divisions are gone now. He says because Jesus himself is our peace. We are now, though we're from different ethnicities, different religious backgrounds, different understandings of who God is, now God has brought us together in Jesus Christ to make us come together as one. Why? Because Jesus himself is our peace. He's broken down the dividing wall of hostility. In regards to the differences among people, no matter what those differences are, Paul says that Jesus has broken down that wall, that we are no longer strangers, but rather fellow citizens and members of the household of God. If you fast forward all the way through the New Testament and look in Revelation, there's an amazing picture of the complete work that Jesus does to restore all people and to make everyone one. In Revelation 7 verse 9 the Apostle John is seeing a vision of heaven, and he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the final picture of the complete work of Jesus to bring all of the different kinds of the people together as one. It's a beautiful picture of the work that Jesus and Jesus alone can do. 
And you see, if we don't see a gospel that's big enough to open the door for all of the kinds of the people to come and hear that it is good news of God's work to bring salvation to us all, then we are not truly believing that the gospel has the power that it has. And often we might sit aside in our different sin of sins of prejudice, whether that has to do with what we talked about last week, rich and poor divisions, that we look at the poor and look down on them because we don't see ourselves as poor, or if it has to do with skin color or ethnicity or religious tradition or whatever it is, often we find ourselves in a place where we think that we're in and someone is not in because of whatever it is that makes us different than them. And the only way to see that prejudice break is to see what it is that Jesus has done to break not just the division between us but the, uh, us and the other people, but the division between us and God because he's broken the ultimate division. Again, back in Ephesians 2, verse 15, Jesus abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances so that he might create uh, in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. What does this mean? This means that all of the ability that you have to make yourself distinct from others, Jesus has eradicated that. You can't make yourself more distinct to God than anybody else can by your obediences, by particular religious rites, by being of a certain pedigree, by having a particular skin tone or speaking a specific language, there isn't a single thing that you can do to work yourself toward merit before God. That's what Paul's saying there. The law and fulfilling the law is not the thing that will get you right with God. He's abolished that. And what instead has he done? He's given us one new man in place of two. What's the one new man? The one new man is a needy person at the foot of the cross. Rich, poor, man, woman, boy, girl, black, white, any background, any history, all needy at the foot of the cross. The equal level playing ground is that we all need salvation, and that nothing in our history or nothing in our makeup is the thing that God will accept us by. It is only the work of Jesus. Deep down, the sin of prejudice is an outflow of pride in our lives. When we don't see that we too are the ones in desperate need of God's salvation, then we can look down our nose at somebody else and think they don't qualify because of whatever. And the final kind of culmination of almost this whole series talking about being in a world that does not seek after God and being a people that do seek after God, the hope is that through the church, all of the kinds of people would find out that they too can have grace from God, that nothing they do, that no aspect of who they are is un, uh, is the thing that will keep back God from saving their heart and renewing their life, but that God has broken down all of the walls between us and everything that would divide us from one another, Christ brings about a new creation by helping us all see that we are in desperate need of grace from him, just like our neighbor, just like our coworker, just like the ones that we are prone to forget and overlook, no matter who, no matter where, no matter what, we are equal with them in the fact that we are in need 
of the gospel. And the beauty of what Paul says in Ephesians 2 here is that Jesus has done what is needed in order to break this wall down and to make us members of the household of God. That you and me and anyone that we know and anyone that we pass on the street can all, through the work of Jesus, be brought into the household of faith. That there is no distinction. That there is no division anymore. That through his work, it's powerful enough to break all of the divides and to bring us into one household, making us, instead of strangers and aliens, brothers and sisters, joint heirs with Jesus because of his work, because of the power of the gospel. And so the gospel that we believe as we continue to look at Scripture and allow it to unpack uh, our hearts and the deep things that are going on inside of us, the gospel that we believe is that we are needy people, that we are desperate for him to work and to move, and that everyone we see in every stage of life, uh, no matter where they've been and no matter who they are, that they too are are able recipients of what God has done just because they're a part of God's creation that they display his image, and so therefore God has done what they need in order to save them as well. And so we're actually going to uh, end our kind of message time here in a very different way today. Uh, We're going to spend a little bit of time praying. Um, Most of our series to this point, we have one week left in this series, but most of our series to this point has been about engaging this world. And I hope, I I don't know, this has happened uh, along the way uh, in my heart as we continue to walk through these things. I I hope that that God is burdening our hearts. That God is sometimes maybe convicting us of sin in the way that we've disengaged from the world and, and, and lead us to better engagement with our friends and neighbors and coworkers and maybe even some of our enemies and the strangers and aliens that are out there. Uh, and that we're being moved towards a more... Uh, a more generous view of our city to say, God's got me here. He did this like he did with Daniel. He's got me here around these people. And the gospel is why so that people might see so that people might hear so that people might know that Jesus is the son of God and that he is the fulfillment of every longing of their heart. And that they can come to him in repentance and faith, just like I've come to him in repentance and faith. And so what I want to do is just divide up in some small groups and just pray for people. Maybe by name, maybe by neighborhood, maybe by something else that would identify groups of people. I don't know, but just pray for people. And pray for us as a church as we engage with all of the kinds of people that God would enable us to do that with mercy and compassion, with generosity and with grace, just like Jesus engaged the world that he was in, right? And I know like praying together might be a really big step, right? And so this is, the goal of this is not, let's all be as uncomfortable as humanly possible. That is not the goal. So if you're new with us and you're like, yo, preacher, you're, this is crazy. Like, that's cool. You can sit and reflect for a while. No problem, right? We're not keeping score, not taking pictures, Uh, but I want to give us an opportunity. So if you're here with a spouse or a friend or maybe somebody in your city group or somebody you've sat down to dinner or coffee with or something that you'd be comfortable with them, 
pair up with them and let's let's just pray for some people. Kelly's going to come and play so we don't have like that awkward silence thing going on. Um, but for real, if you just need to sit and reflect, you're totally free to do that. We don't want to make you all uncomfortable. Um, but if you are comfortable to partner up with a couple people, and it's not going to be forever, but just pray for some folks. And I'm going to come up here in a minute, and I'm going to close this in prayer, and then we'll finish our time in worship like we usually do. Cool? All right. Here we go. Just go ahead, break out, and start praying. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. That while we were far off, you loved us. You've pursued us. You've made a way where there was no possible way for us to be reconciled to you, to know you. God, you have done great things for us. We pray that through your work in and through our lives, that many more people would come to that same confession. That they would come and see that they are in need and that you have given them yourself, that through Jesus, their sins can be washed away, their broken hearts can be healed, their messed up relationships can be reconciled. God, you are the hope of the world. You are the hope of St. Pete. Uh, may that be our song and our joy. God, thanks for this time. We pray, continue to burden us and lead us to love and serve others, that we would see this gospel as good news for all of the kinds of people. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.